0: Well, 2010, new decade, here we go. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. I want to welcome all those of you that have joined us at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those who are watching at the Ferndale campus and all those that are joining us online as well. We're so glad that you're here uh, to worship God with us today. It's going to be an excellent time together. We're getting ready to launch an entirely new season of life. And it's going to be exciting to see what it is that God is going to do. And as I was thinking and praying about what do you do at the beginning of a new decade, the only thing I could think of is you go to what you know. So in this particular time, we're going to open our Bibles to a very, very famous psalm. I was amazed when I went back and actually checked my files. I have never preached from Psalm 40 before, ever. I have no idea what I've been thinking all of these years. And I know this is going to surprise some of you, but Psalm 40 was actually written and sung by King David way before you two ever got a hold of it, all right? Some of you don't know who you two is. That's okay. I will forgive you from the bottom of my heart. But in this psalm, David gives us a template for handling a life that's dangling on the edge of not just a new year, but an entirely new decade. So let's take a look at it together. In Psalm 40, King David states at the very beginning, this is where I was. Verse 1 of Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. When David wrote those particular words, apparently he was not in a good place. And if you look at his life, you'd have to agree. Adultery, family tension. I mean, his boys try to kill him. I mean, you think you've got family problems, right? Right. I mean, he he became a peeping Tom at one point. He got involved in a conspiracy to commit murder. He killed thousands. He was in with God. He was out with God. I mean, all of it together, it's not a pretty picture. And David draws us a picture at the beginning of Psalm 40 by summing up his life in one word, pit. Not Brad Pitt, an actual hole in the ground pit. And I don't know about you, but I've been there whether it's the uh, the pit of pain or the pit of rejection or the pit of despair or the pit of loneliness, at some point, all of us should be able to relate to David's description of life as a pit. If you can't relate to David because you think your life is just perfect, that's okay too. You're in a pit called denial and we can help you. Okay, so (laughs) whenever you're in a pit, everyone has an opinion as to how you got there. They also have an opinion as to how you should get out of it which reminds me of a story. A man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I really feel for you down there in your pit. An objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall into a pit. A traditional church guy came along and said, we're meeting next Thursday at 7.30 p.m. in a committee in order to lay out a process by which we're going to get you out of your pit. A Pharisee came along and said, Only bad people fall into a pit. A mathematician came along and calculated how he fell into the pit and the speed at which he fell to the bottom. A fundamentalist came along and said, you deserve your pit. A legalist said, if you listen to me, you wouldn't be in that particular pit. A realist said, that's a pit. A scientist (laughs) calculated the pressure necessary, the pounds and square inches, to actually eject the man out of the pit. A geologist came along and said, you should just learn to appreciate the rock strata around you in your pit. An evolutionist said, you are a rejected mutant destined to be removed from the evolutionary cycle. In other words, you're going to die in your pit so that you can't produce any more pit-falling offspring. The county inspector came and said, do you have a permit to dig that pit? A professor gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of a pit. A self-pitying person came along and said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An optimist said, things could be worse. A pessimist said, things are going to get worse. And then a follower of Jesus just came along, decided to simply be the hands and the feet of Jesus, stretched out a hand and said, can I help you get out of the pit? Before I met Jesus, I was in a pit of sin and judgment. I had no idea how to get out of the pit, and I was amazed that Jesus Christ would reach into my sin and pull me to safety, that he would dirty his hands with my sin. And I don't know about you, but I will be forever grateful that God is not afraid to reach into the pits of sin and save lost and broken people. That's where David was. But now he makes a statement in Psalm 40 about his current placement. And he says, that's where I was, but this is where I am. Listen to verse 2, of Psalm 40. It says, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. David makes a declaration, I was in a pit but now, because of God's transforming power, I'm no longer in the pit, instead I've been elevated and I'm standing firmly on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't get out on my own. No, God actually came into the pit Saved me, changed me, delivered me, and now I'm standing alongside of him on a firm foundation that doesn't shake, it doesn't shift, it doesn't move. And even when the world looks like it's going to collapse in 2010, I have nothing to worry about because I am standing firmly on the solid foundation of Jesus. Look at the bold statement he makes in verse 7. seven. He says, then I said, here I am, I have come, it is written about me In the scroll, he makes a declaration. Here I am. Don't look in the pit any longer. I'm not there. I'm standing on the solid foundation. I have come out of the pit, and now I'm standing in front of you. Then he declares, this is where I'm going. I love verse 8. It says, I desire to do your will. Oh, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips as you know, O Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. David is saying, I am resolved to be on track with God. In fact, he steps beyond that. He says, I, I'm gonna stand up in the great assembly and they're gonna wish that somebody had brought a muzzle because when I get through talking, people are just gonna, they're not gonna know what to do with me because I have to talk about God. I will talk about God. Nobody can silence me in the meantime. Need to talk about him. Gonna brag about him. He's been good to me. Took me out of a pit. Put me on solid ground. He says I will not hide or hold back the fact that God saved me because without him I would not be breathing. Without him I wouldn't be standing. Without him I'd still be in the pit. So he says I'm gonna brag about his salvation. I'm not gonna talk about what I did for him. I'm gonna talk about what he did for me. I got a week off. I got to sleep in every morning. I am well caffeinated, so here it comes. I was lost. I was broken. I had nothing going on. I was going to die. And then Jesus jumped into the pit. He didn't just say, hey, yo, If you got enough strength, clamber up the sides. I'll do my best to try and grab you. He got down into the pit. We just finished celebrating at Christmas. He came here. He drew near to save people like us, which means if you haven't got something to brag about or shout about in the presence of God, then you... oh (laughs) Do we get it? I'm a conservative, quiet, Baptist, grown-up kid. And even that just lights me up. That's an incredible, incredible thing. And he makes another statement. After he comes down, he says, this is my reality. Verse 17, yet I'm poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. I love that transparency. Because he saved me, but I still need help. I need his presence every day. I still need his love every day single day i can't stand to think about trying to do this on my own so i'm going to say here's the next blank in your outline he's going to say this is my hope even though this is my present reality i need help this is my hope he says you're my help and my deliverer oh my god do not delay david says i need your help god i need your hand I know that if I'm left to my own devices, I'm just going to slide right back down in the pit. So God, don't wait. Come and help me right this second. Come and stand with me on this firm foundation as I stand right here on the precipice of the rest of my life. God, would you come and help me? I love that the Bible still rings true. I love that David still rings true. Because we find ourselves dangling right on the edge of the rest of our lives in this moment. I mean, what questions can we take from David's template? I believe in Psalm 4, he just lays out this beautiful template that gives us an opportunity to look back, to look around, just to see what really God is doing. So what are the questions we can ask? Well, I believe on the edge of a new decade, we must each ask the question, number one, where's God brought me from? I mean, we get so averse to ever looking back. Sometimes you've got to look back. Now, don't get stuck back there. But there's nothing wrong with looking backwards, learning the lesson, and looking for the finger of God as He traces your way through. That's a part of the problem. We look back into the muck and the mire, and we focus on the muck and the mire instead of focusing on the tip of God's finger as He drew a plan for you to be able to walk through it victoriously. Where has God brought me from? Secondly, where does God have me now? What an amazing opportunity to be thankful about where God has brought us from and to be real about where He has us now. How can we be real about that? Well, we do that by being honest and stating the truth, which means in this moment, if you're struggling, say it. If you're hurting, say it. If you're full of joy and ecstatic, say it. That is an opportunity to celebrate where God has us right now. Third question, where does God want me to go? Well, the reality is none of us know the future. But those that know Jesus, we know the one who holds the future. And in knowing that, we can ask that most excellent question, where does God want me to go? I can most assuredly tell you something. I have no idea where God wants you to go out there. I know everything absolutely, with 100% conviction, the one place He doesn't want you to go is right back into the pit. That's not in God's character. Fourth question is, what does God want me to do? I'm not sure if we've ever learned this. I'm not sure if we ever will, but faith demands action. Prayer demands action. I meet people all the time who spent their whole life waiting to find out what God wants them to do. Instead of actually acting in faith and in prayer and moving ahead in the right direction. If you're here and you're questioning what it is to do with your life, can I encourage you to do this? Do what you know to do. Love what God loves. Hate what God hates. If you do that, the direction will come. Serve the poor. Share God's love. Touch a child. Serve God people move in a godly direction and God will direct and steer you as you put one foot in front of the other well that really deals a lot with our individual direction but I believe we can take David's template and also look at it corporately so as as we individually stand on the precipice of a brand new decade we also stand there as a church God's been unbelievably faithful to Christ the King, but we have unbelievable opportunities to take this moment and just pause and wait and see what it is that God has done. And I believe that in this particular moment, we would be remiss if we didn't look at least four different directions. So let's take a moment and just look back, okay? Let's look back. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That verse literally means that the only reason we're still here and breathing is because God is good. Because He has His hand on you. Because He made the decision that you would get today. What you do with it, that's completely and totally up to you. But it was His gift to you. And we have an opportunity in this moment to understand that because we're not consumed, because His compassions never fail, that we can look back and see just how faithful God has been. We're in a huge transition at Christ the King right now because six years ago, a group of very faithful people, volunteers, they joined a rookie pastor that I know at the helm of a hurting church. Many of the elders, deacons and deaconesses who have served faithfully over the past six years, our bylaws say that you can serve three two-year terms and then you have to take a mandatory break. That's how we keep our church council from becoming an old boys club, okay? Many of them have served faithfully for three two-year terms in a row, so they've done six years and they need to take a year off. So a majority of our church council finished up in December and now they're going to go and rest and do whatever it is that you do when you're not serving as hard as you possibly can. And as a way of trying to honor the work that they had done, I put together kind of a little six year historical retrospective. And I handed it out to all of them at our last meeting. I wanted them to see in front of them just some of the things that God had accomplished through their faithful service. So. I'm just going to share some of the highlights from that as a way of looking back. This group of faithful leaders successfully navigated a large church through the tumultuous waters of a tragic and unforeseen leadership transition. They rewrote the bylaws of Christ the King Church to include a fully functioning church council of elders, deacons, and deaconesses. They reduced a church debt load from a total of nine million plus dollars to less than three million. You just wrap your head around that number. They undertook and completed two major building initiatives, including the development of approximately 30,000 feet of unused space and its conversion to fully devoted ministry space. We have every square inch of this building being used for ministry for the first time in our history. They oversaw the conception, launch, and establishment of two church plants and one campus. North Bay Christ the King Community Church, Redeemer Church, and Ferndale, which we welcome via uh, the video. They stewarded the numeric growth of the Bellingham campus from 2,500 to over 4,000. They oversaw the return, the confession, and forgiving prayer for the founding pastor of Christ the King Church. They oversaw the baptism and witnessed the baptism of more than 1,000 people. six years. They influenced Whatcom County Christ the King growth from 3,000 to approximately 6,500 in multiple places, multiple campuses. They allowed for a new young lead pastor to define his calling, experiment with his gifts, fail on numerous occasions with the full assurance that there were godly leaders in his corner. They created a web presence that now reaches out to hundreds of downloads of the sermon per week to the United States and 21 foreign countries. Just think about that. They facilitated three major outreaches just this past year. At Easter, we had more than 7,000 people hear the gospel of Christ. At Trunk or Treat, we had more than 5,000 of those who are about to come come to our parking lot to be a part of that outreach. And this past Christmas Eve, more than 4,500 people came to hear the message that God is near. This is my favorite one. They increased mission spending from less than $50,000 a year to more than $300,000 annually. Expanded the food bank by roughly 200% to ensure our commitment to feed the hungry they guarded and protected the mission, vision, and values of Christ the King in a way that honored God and allowed the mission to continue. They reformatted the meetings of the council to focus on prayer and mission. And they supported a church staff that saw over a thousand people make their way through the recovery process of 12 steps, a spiritual journey, and guided more than 400 people through Alpha. And they did it all humbly. Quietly, with much prayer, and they did it because of your generosity. When I look back at what God has done, all I can say is great is His faithfulness. God has been so good. Make it so perfectly clear in your mind. All of the glory goes to Jesus. He has been our rock, our fortress, and our guide. He is worthy of all praise, so we honor him as the author of all good things, and we give him thanks. Our job, our goal, is just to hold up a great big mirror so any of the glory that goes horizontally will get reflected vertically because that's the only place that it belongs. Amen? It's the only place. So we look back and I just go, wow, wow. Well, let's look in a different direction. How about we just look around? What if we look at our present reality? What if we see what God is doing right now? Psalm 40, verse 10, David does it. He says, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Well, if David's not going to keep... What God is doing a secret. I'm not going to keep it a secret either. I just want to share with you some of the things that God has been up to, not in my church. It's not my church. This is Jesus's church. This is his deal. And we're together in this as a family. So I'm just going to share some of the stuff that's going on. So in 2009, our attendance grew by 13.4%. In church world, that's huge. In the Pacific Northwest, where most people don't have anything to do with God, that's a miracle. I mean, that's just an unbelievable, phenomenal thing. I can't even wrap my head around that. All right? Now, we need to understand something, okay? Less than 2% of churches in this country experienced positive growth last year. Less than 2%. Do we understand what God is doing? That, that, that just blows my mind. Okay, here's the next one. We're in an economic recession, and our giving last year, our tithing grew by 4.9%. And that that just melts my head. I don't have a box to put that inside of. Now, I want you to understand something. Here's the reality that comes with that. You see the numeric number, and then you see the tithing number? Do you see the separation between those two things? That's the challenge right there. You want a faith challenge? That's the challenge, because it means this. We got more people who are using more resources so that we can tell them about Jesus, which is the goal, and yet the giving's not keeping up with the growth. I mean, what an awesome problem to have. I'll take that problem, okay? We'll take it, because we're going to be talking about it in the coming weeks, but that's for the people that are about to come, and I can't believe it. I mean, I I was listening to a podcast the other day from a friend of mine. Their offerings are off 40%. 4 0. They're laying off staff. I'm just going to tell you something. You want honesty? Here's honesty. I have a circle of friends that I run around with that are all doing ministry in larger churches. I'm the only guy that can put his hand up and keep it up when they talk about layoffs because we haven't had to. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. It's a miracle. Now, we're not going to presume on God's good graces, right? I mean, that's our present reality, and it's, it's a little scary sometimes. God is using your faithfulness to change lives. I don't know how else to tell you. God is using you to touch hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Here's a couple other really cool things. In 2009, we baptized 326 people. It's the most we've ever baptized, 326. Here's one that'll just get you. In a, in a year of economic recession, we did the CTK blessing. Most we've ever done is $48,000. Drum roll, please. We raised this year with the CTK blessing, $62,381. And we're going to give it all away. All right. It's just going to be given away. This one might uh, make you swallow hard. This year at the food bank, Our guest count was 24,676 people. When you put a a can of soup in that box, that feeds a family. When you bring food and put it in that box, you keep a child from going to bed hungry. And last year, 24,000 plus people poured through the doors of our food bank just looking for a meal. That's amazing. All right, kids enrolled in Awana. This is a cool one because every one of these kids is learning scripture. We have over 440 kids registered in Awana. Okay, average weekly attendance of 325. This next number is one that I was just so absolutely excited about. When we started six years ago, one of our goals was to become a tithing church. We wanted $1 for every 10 that came in to go to missions in some way, shape, or form. This year, for the first time, our missions giving came in at 10.4%. Which is just awesome. We finally became the tithing church that we dreamed we would be, and hopefully it's gonna to continue to go up. Now, that's all the wonderful, amazing, good news. Here's just kind of a sobering reality check, okay? I get asked the question, what's the building debt at? I mean we've paid down a ton. You add it all up over the years, it was at nine million plus. Then you take it off in big chunks, so we still owe two point nine six. I mean, just the fact it starts with a two, just Makes me so unbelievably excited. Been waiting for that for a long time. But just under $3 million is still owing on this facility. And what I'm going to tell you is this. Every dollar that we have to pay to interest and all that other kind of stuff, that's money we could be using for church planting. That's money we could be using to put an orphanage in India. That's money we could be using to build an AIDS hospital in Africa. And I'm telling you about all those things because in the next couple of weeks I'm going to talk about the fact that those are exactly some of the things we're going to try and do. So every time, I know it's not very glamorous to give to bricks and mortar, but it frees up opportunities for us to do more globally than we've ever done before. So I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of look around. So now where do we have left to look? Well, we better look forward. We better look forward. Psalm 33 verse 22 says this, May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope In you. As we look to the future, we've got to do it with a measure of faith that would allow us to picture what Whatcom County would look like if every single person knew Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. We've got to picture what would Whatcom County look like if everybody knew Jesus, if no child went to bed hungry, if no family was broken, if no need went unmet. Now, I know some of you would go, that's just not realistic, Pastor. With God it is. With God it is. When I look forward, I see more Christ the King churches and more communities ministering to more people in Jesus' name. I see churches in Africa and India and around the world who have a place for those who are the most hurting, the most broken, the most lost. I see the name of Jesus being made famous. When people ask me, Where's the church going? I tell you, it's going to the foot of the cross where we will make the name of Jesus famous. That's where we've always been going. That's where we're always going to be going. The day we stop going towards the cross is the day we can all pack it in because we'll have become a really nice social club where everybody gets all of their needs met and we go home exactly the same way we came in. My prayer is that you will that you will pray that God will give us the wisdom to see the future as he sees it. In the coming weeks, we're going to unveil plans for more missions work, local work, and I'm just going to warn you, the dreams are big, which is good because we're going to need a really big God to fill those dreams. Well, we can look back, we can look around, we can look forward. One more direction I think we have to look, and that's up. That's up. We're one of the only groups in the world that gets to look up. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In the coming weeks, we're going to start a brand new series that I pray will help us lift our eyes to the location from which our help comes from. The series is called Give Yourself Away. We give ourselves away to lots of things, don't we? We give ourselves away in marriage. It's a good thing. We give ourselves away in generosity. It's a good thing. We give ourselves away to addiction. Not such a good thing. We give ourselves away to sin. And and this year, this decade, If we truly want to give ourselves to living a life that honors God, there's only one way to do it. We must, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus because if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will not grow weary and we will not lose heart. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, we will not slip back into the pit. We will keep our feet firmly planted on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We will lift our eyes to heaven and run the race that God has marked out for each and every one of us. I am more excited about this next decade because Jesus is already there. We have nothing to fear as the people of God, we have hope, we have Jesus. What more would we need than the one who pulled us out of the pit? What more would we want than to have the opportunity to share with somebody else who's in the pit that they don't need to stay there, but that there is a God who's actually willing to get into the pit. That blows me away. Into the pit. And to carry them and lift them to safety. Christ the King, we have a ton of stuff behind us. We have nothing but God's goodness around us. We have a future in front of us that's filled with faith and dangerous wonder. And whenever that becomes overwhelming, we simply can look up and realize that He who began a good work in us will be faithful to bring it to completion. That's not my promise. That's His. Let's carry that promise with us into this next decade. And let's never, ever stop thanking God that He would choose a motley group like us to have a front row seat to the miracles He's doing right here in Whatcom County. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I know this has been a lot of information. But I thank you that we have information to share because of the transformation that you've been doing in our lives and the lives of the people around us. God, I humbly ask that you would allow us the spiritual discipline to stay out of your way. I pray that you would give us the faith to believe that there are still thousands of people that we work with and talk with and walk beside every day that need to hear the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that we serve a Savior who's still crawling into pits, gathering lost and broken, shattered people to himself and giving them restoration and wholeness. God, we, we thank you for everything you've done. You have been good. You deserve the honor. You get all of the glory. And we are bold enough to say, would you continue, God? Would you do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or even imagine? Would you bring more? And would you find us faithful with every single one, knowing that you love them more than we ever could? Jesus, I pray that we would live up to your name for this church. I pray that we would lift Christ the King. That we would worship Christ the King, your Son. That we would never get them confused, God. That this would never be about us. That it always would be about you. And Father, in praying that, we once again declare our dependence, our need for you. Would you give us life and breath to accomplish this mission? And we pray all of these things in the good name of Jesus Christ. And the family of Christ the King agreed together and said, Amen.